Hey guys, it's me, Sophia Amoruso, here from the Girl Boss HQ. We have a great guest coming up today, Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital. We'll be here to chat about her journey to become a venture capitalist and how you can pitch your idea to her. But first, I want to talk just a little bit about my favorite PJs, Lunia. Lunia. Okay, Lunia. Lunia has really been a lifesaver for me. I. I looked everywhere for pajamas and everything was like really stiff, kind of like suits basically that like, I don't even know, like I don't even, wouldn't even like get around my butt Mm -hmm. and just nothing that stretches, nothing that's soft. And they have these still sexy, but also very practical washable silk pajamas. Mm -hmm. And since having washable silk, I mean, you know, I didn't really ever wash my like nice PJs and the washable silk just allows you to feel like sexy mm-hmm. and clean <laughs> I guess, at the same time. And Lunia was designed with you in mind from flat seams to silhouettes that move with your body to pockets. They're really a modern take on sleepwear. And whether you're a hot sleeper, cold sleeper, or victim of midnight nip slips mm. and wake me up wedgies, Ooh. each Lunia piece works together to meet your sleep needs. So find out why Fast Company is raving about Lunia and get 15% off your first purchase when you go to lunia.co and enter promo code GIRLBOSS. That's L-U-N-Y-A dot co. Enter promo code GIRLBOSS for 15% off your first purchase. Lunia, sleepwear for the modern woman. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Arlen Hamilton is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital, a fund that is dedicated to minimizing funding disparities in tech by investing in high potential founders who are of color, women, and or LGBTQ. I think that a lot of investors that have a ton of money right now are missing a lot of people because they don't have that right access to them. And just like those people may not have the access to the country club, even more importantly, the investors don't have access to the barbecue. Arlen built her venture capital fund from the ground up while homeless. She started from scratch in 2015. I broke in. I invited myself. I mean, honestly, it was just really several years of chipping away at the path to get there. So it's it's not an easy packaged story. And to date, Backstage has invested nearly $5 million into over 100 startup companies led by underestimated founders. And in early May of this year, Backstage announced that they had raised an additional $36 million fund to exclusively boost black female founders, which Arlen calls her It's About Damn Time Fund. Arlen entered the venture capital world from an unconventional path. Before she worked in VC, she started her career in the music industry. My very first concert, I was 13 years old and I saw Janet Jackson in the front row through a series of wonderful events. It changed my life. Whatever 
that feeling was looking back at that audience that night, I knew that I needed to be around that energy as much as possible. And these days, when she's not raising millions to fund deserving founders, she still works in music, serving as a tour manager to Atlantic Records recording artist Janine. Today, Arlen is here to share her path from being homeless to a venture capitalist, how you can fund your company, and how to switch career paths. We'll get to our chat with Arlen in just a moment. But first, Maggie and I are going to chat all about what's going on here at the Girl Boss offices. What's up, Maggie? Oh, boy. We got a lot going on. So we have a great piece on Mm girlboss.com about how to work from home without turning into a ball of stress. Mm -hmm. Not turning into a ball of stress is hard enough, but when you don't actually exit your home, Mm -hmm. uh, it can be uh, pretty bad because then there's no such thing as a personal life. And since we work from home on Fridays here at Girl Boss, which is awesome, we've been able to use these tricks and apply them into our work from home day. So what are some of the tips that we're offering to... Uh, work from home productively, efficiently, and without becoming a total monster who doesn't wash her face. Right. So I think it's also super different when you freelance versus working from home once a week or so. When you freelance, I think the, the tips are very different. You know, you want to get ready in the morning as if you're going to work, kind of finding little routines where you can, whether it's brushing your teeth. I mean, everybody should be brushing their teeth. No no judgment, though. And then making a cup of coffee at home, sitting in your own chair, grabbing your computer, just having those little small acts of repetition to help you get into your workflow. And then also transition from sleep mode to then work mode in the same place. So it's taking off the PJs, getting out of the bed. um, Whereas, take off your PJs, guys. Yep, those Lunya PJs. I would say make a list too. I mean, always making a list is important, but your your day, um, what you need to get accomplished that day is really important. There are also productivity apps and websites, as there is everything nowadays. It's called Toggle, and it helps you control your schedule and also find. Um, how productive you are. So it's like if you're browsing the web and 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 d- d- like moving away from the actual work that needs to be done, it lets you know. And also, if you are that person that gets distracted and doesn't want it to be radio silent, then there's also always coffee shops in library, a library or yeah. Sometimes a getting in the house space. is really you know it can be kind of distracting. But mm-hmm. get some headphones, get out of the house. I mean, I became a total work monster at the beginning of Nasty Gal Hmm. and I didn't ever get out of the bathrobe you know I wrote in the book that my boyfriend called it the sad bunny because it was this giant pink terry cloth bathrobe I didn't even I mean why wash your face Mm -hmm. like I'm not going anywhere I would go to Starbucks like practically oh no no I used to go in vintage clothing that I pulled off a hanger that still had a goodwill tag literally coming off like the top (laughs) of the shoulder like Next to my face that yep. said like four ninety nine on it. Like Nothing. I once caught myself at a hamburger place called Burger Road that I used to go Just every day burger. with like a yeah Goodwill sweater with a four ninety nine price tag. That's the and dream. I was like wow, wow. I'm I'm in my twenties. Mm-hmm. What is this? <laughs> what do you do now? Well, when you're I wear my home. own clothes. I don't wear the inventory. <laughs> and yeah, when I work from home, I get up. I usually wash my face. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on work from home days, you know, we have Fridays to work from home here at. 
girl boss, I end up going and taking meetings and I go work mm-hmm. at Neuhaus, which is a co-working space. Mm-hmm. But when I am home, oh God, it's really hard to force yourself to get up. I know. Like I don't get out of my chair. When you get in the zone. Yeah. And get so much done. I'm so in the zone. But like, I don't know, I'll stop and play with my dogs mm-hmm. for a little bit and just remember that I'm not just like a brain with fingers that mm-hmm. type, but like a human that should touch, touch mm-hmm. soft things and take time to do things other than think and work and solve problems and answer questions and mm-hmm. put out fires. So, uh, yeah, cool. I recommend I'm... dogs if you're working from home. Ooh, or cats. Yeah, dogs know. or cats, hamsters, bunnies, birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Any of the above. If our listeners want to learn more, where can they do it, Maggie? Mm-hmm. They can check girlboss.com and then hit that search bar and type in how to work from home and you'll find that little article. Now get ready to hear from venture capitalist Arlen Hamilton. Where did you grow up? I grew up grew up in Dallas, Texas. Okay. I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. And you grew up religious. Mm. <laughs> I grew that... up in a religion. <laughs> in a religion. Yeah. But you weren't really. I like... was not really. That was part of the problem. Well, how does not being a religious person growing up in a religion, how, does, how do you feel like that affected your development or who you are today? Um, well... Yeah, so I only recently started talking more about it because of because of uh, this documentary. But it wasn't fun, you know. I, I wasn't given a choice, and I think that was that was part that sucked. Um, it I was a Jehovah's Witness, and my mom was a Jehovah's Witness, and she was brought into it in her thirties, which would have been my you know, I was like four or five, and so I just there was a lot that I had to. Uh, I got some out of it. I think I got like. I have to admit that I got, like, um, I was able to read really early because they forced me to learn how to read the Bible mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was, like, six. <laughs> so I was, like, able to read uh, very at a very high level uh, early on, and I think that that's definitely helped me along the way. It hasn't helped me speak or think very well, but anyway. But mostly it was, you know, growing up in a in a situation where you didn't have that you didn't have control and I had to go door to door you know every weekend where my friends from school saw me you know and that wasn't fun Mm -hmm. and I had to be had to go out of the room whenever there was some holiday at school so yeah holidays yeah I would get a separate room um I even back then though even as a child I was also aware of like the dignity of of that being what our family was in and that no one else had the right to sort of make fun of it or to challenge it in a way that was like derogatory. Did you so, learn that from your fa- parents or is that always been I don't kind know of where that natural... came from. I don't know where that came from. Like I was telling people what to do very early and I don't uh, know if that was taught or not. So what were you like as a kid? Were you trouble? Awesome. Were you a troublemaker? Troublemaker. Okay, this is this is a good question because I don't think I was a troublemaker. I think I was a five foot six black 12 year old who was already kind of stocky than as I well. Am. Yeah. And I would speak my mind in, in school, but it wasn't, it was never like trying to buck the teacher. It was always asking questions. I was so curious. And I was always in these honor classes, honors classes, and always in the highest level of reading and math and all of that. But I was always, I had like A, 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 all the way down, you know, took tests, all of this. But then when it got to behavior, it was like C, D, F. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that truly is comes from like there are these studies that show that little girls of color are considered older faster mm-hmm. and are considered more mature faster and are con- considered more aggressive than white girls. And that's a bias that starts really young, like at six or something, because um, it's just it's a bias. And then you so anything that I would do or anything that someone would do. And I've seen this happen over and over again, um, kind of, you know, uh, piles on to that. But I was also like really into like different businesses, like starting different businesses. So and you're I really always entrepreneurial. That. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was too, but all they had were these goofy business books for kids that were like mm-hmm. odd jobs for kids, and it had like <laughs> clip art you could like go take to the like Kinkos. There wasn't even Kinkos, but like yeah. the grocery store, and like make a copy and blow up like the clip art babysitter thing or. <laughs> I'll I'll sell your knickknacks. Yeah. <laughs> like odd jobs. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> Sacramento. Oh, okay. That's how they talk. It's like knickknacks and patty way. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. I know it sounds like I don't call it soda pop. Quaint. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I just I guess I made my own. I had a really great imagination, like a really vivid imagination, and that came from not having much. To be honest, Do you like, have siblings. I have one brother, a younger brother, Alfred. He goes by Rook. He's a cool. He's a rapper in Dallas. Yeah, we are, we were, we're kind of similar in that way. Arlen and I talked about how from a young age we both had an entrepreneurial spirit. However, she didn't enter the world of venture capital until she was in her 30s. So I wondered, what did she want to be when she was in high school? High school was pretty rough for me. I still was doing well in, in class. Like I was always top of my class. I was voted most likely, likely to succeed at one point uh, in earlier high school. But I had it like, it was tough. I We moved many, many times when I was younger. We never had money. We were always um, struggling. And then my senior year, I was not only dealing with just depression in general, where, where I was um, diagnosed with, with very severe depression, but I was, we, we didn't have a home. So we were living out of a motel, out of one room, my mom and my brother and I, my senior year. And we had to, like, move to another state for a minute and then came back because there was a fight in the hallway when I was being registered for school. So I thought maybe that wasn't the place for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so there was a lot. So I wasn't, I wasn't in that time, I'm thinking back to, like, being 11th, 12th grade. I was not thinking about, oh, let me go and go to college and I'll do this and I'll be that and I'll do this. I just thought I have to get through the next few days. Did you think, get me out of here? Like, as soon as I can get out of here, I'm going to get out of here? Yeah. Yeah. Out of school, out of, out of, and I love Dallas, but out of Dallas, just because when you're somewhere for so long, you just want to be somewhere else. Yeah. I always knew, though, that I would be in California. Yeah. That was one, that was that one guiding thing was I need to be in California. Tell me about your first jobs. Like, where did you start? We'll get into venture capital later. Okay. Where did I start? My first job, I was 15. I worked at Pudge Brothers Pizza in Dallas, Texas. I was, uh, I started as a cashier and then I became a pizza maker like within two days because they didn't have anybody else working there. And I did everything but deliver the pizzas. I became like everything for that store. And then I worked, and this is, you know, I was going to school and I worked at, uh, I was an usher for um, concerts, including like Stone Temple Pilot concerts and like, isn't that Like, because I worked at our local amphitheater amphitheater and then at the arena and so I would do like hockey games and then I would do uh different concerts 
One of Arlen's first jobs was as a concert usher at her local amphitheater, which sparked her love for music. I asked her how she shifted from ushering into being a full-time music professional. My very first concert, I was 13 years old, and I saw Janet Jackson in the front row through a series of wonderful events, and that I was not expecting that. And I it changed my life. And it actually, honestly, it helped me um, get out of the religion because I found a new one, to, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gave me confidence and, and changed my life. And I just, whatever that feeling was, looking back at that audience that night, I knew that I needed to be around that energy as much as possible. So mm-hmm. I, I did set out. I should say, yeah, I did set out to, I knew at 15, see, I kind of lied a little bit early when I said I didn't have any direction, because I definitely did. Mm -hmm. I knew at 15 that I wanted to be a tour manager, and I met Janet's tour manager, and I found my way to him, and we we, uh, met at one of his shows for another band, and I sat backstage for a couple of hours, and all this crazy stuff happened. Uh, He's he's around, Marty. Hey, Marty. Marty Hom, I've known him for... God, 20 years plus. He brought me back as a 15-year-old girl he met on AOL. I know that sounds really bad when I said out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Age, sex, location? Exactly. But now he was cool and he put me back there. And I remember sitting there and I was just like by myself and I was looking around. And like they couldn't find the drummer. The band was, I guess I I don't think this is going to hurt anything. It was the band Boston. Oh, yeah. And he was their tour manager, and they couldn't find the drummer. And they were, like, thinking that he was in another city or something. And then they talked about, like, the, the, somebody's parrot was lost as well, so they wondered if the parrot was with the drummer. And all this crazy stuff happened. And then the magic happened of, the, of going on, you know, to the stage and that feeling that I still get excited by, walking with the artist to the stage. And at the end of it, he said, you sure you still you want to do this, kid? And I said, every day of my life. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is it. So uh, that did send me on a on a path. So what does a tour manager do for our listeners who don't know? Tour manager. So I've been a production coordinator, a road manager, and a tour manager for, for different, depending on who the artist is. A tour manager. So we can use Janine as an example. She's an artist on Atlantic Records. So for her, I mean, it was a drummer, a keyboardist, a driver, me and her, and a sprinter across the country for two months. And with that, with that size tour, you do everything but perform, really. It's, you just have to get it together and like anticipate any sort of issue. And I think at the end of the day, tour managers, good tour managers, are, are hired for for what could go wrong, mm-hmm. not for... Keep you know, them alive. Yeah. <laughs> you, so I started with the Norwegian pop, uh, pop punk band, and that was a great way to start. What the, were they called? Golden Boy. Okay, they're I've in, heard of that. They're in Bergen. Um, good friends of mine. And they. I started when I was like 21 with them, and we went on the road two summers in a row, and this uh, van that... <laughs> and it was like five of them and one of me, and they discovered cheap beer for the first time <laughs> and the heat of the Texas suns. So they were always topless and I was always grabbing them from t- atop something, you know, some the top of the van or atop of a building. And I was always reminding them that in America, the sight of me with them in the South can be jarring to certain people, including police officers, and that we might not want to bring as much attention to ourselves as they would be while drunk and 
topless on the top of a van, so maybe we should dial that down. So that sort of thing um, uh, trained me for everything else. That I can, you can throw anything at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I bet. Anyone yeah. who's worked with talent and, mm-hmm. I mean, especially in music, I, you know, I had an assistant who it was her dream to when she after a couple of years she was like I want to be in the music industry and everyone around me was like oh man like <laughs> she, she's that's it's like the toughest there's yeah. so many egos and personalities and yeah. a lot to well, navigate but can I can I'm I sure be, it can also be really fun can I be super like can I turn the tables a little bit yeah do you think that you because I've thought about this for myself now that I have a team and people that are working for me do you think that you're demanding I think I am, but I don't. I don't really tell everybody what they need. You know, it's like you don't micromanage. I try not to. There's yeah. times where I do, mm-hmm. but from a larger team perspective, you know, I work closer with some people than with others. My assistant or mm-hmm. with our product designer, mm-hmm. keeping like what we're building, you know, technology wise on track. But for the most part, no. I'm like, oh, cool. That's kind of the same as backstage at wow. this point. Do you find that? Um, there's some things that are non-negotiable, though, when it comes to, like, your vision being executed or yeah. representing yeah. your name. And I feel like I have really good stewards mm-hmm. of that who mm-hmm. are actually more attuned to – I mean, I understand the general psychology of, of this girl because I've talked to her for 12 years and my mm-hmm. whole, whole career. Mm-hmm. Clothes, fashion's different, but it's still meeting her where she is and having a conversation. Yeah. But – I feel really confident with the the women who run the company with me who mm-hmm. make those decisions and also educate me on a lot of things that I don't know and a lot of things that we're all learning at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, what's relevant, what's appropriate, what's, you know, there's a lot of subtleties that we have to take into account being a company called Girl Boss. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of nuance to that. Mm-hmm. So you're... A tour manager, and now you're a venture capitalist. What had happened? Did you go to college? <laughs> I, went, I went, took the wrong bus. A crew call. <laughs> you took the bus to Silicon yeah. Valley, got off, yeah. and said, give like, me money. Where's my band? <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're called Backstage Capital, which I now understand yes. why it's called Backstage Capital. Yeah. Did you go to college? No. I went to a community college for a few credits. Um, didn't enjoy that either. Arlen went from working in the music industry to creating her own venture capital firm with no prior experience or contacts. Switching careers is never an easy task, and getting started in venture capital without prior connections is, I mean, I can't believe she did it. Arlen revealed how she found a way to break into venture capital against all odds. I broke in. I I invited myself in. I mean, honestly, it was just really several years of chipping away at the path to get there so it's it's a, it's not an easy packaged um, story what are some of the things it doesn't even have to be chronological but what are the some of the things that happened on your way to <laughs> even beginning your career as a venture capitalist what are the different ways that you tried to sneak backstage well I mean I I, I definitely reached out to every investor that I ever thought would be interested in what we're doing uh, or what I was doing at the time. And I definitely cold called them. What were you telling them that you were doing? I said I was, it had many, you know, iterations, but that's pretty, the core of it has been the same. It's like we're, I, I think that a lot of investors that have a ton of money right now are missing 
a lot of people because they don't have that right access to them. Mm-hmm. And just like those people may not have the access to the country club, even more importantly, the investors don't have access to the barbecue. Mm-hmm. And I have access to the barbecue and you're missing out by by ignoring them. And I was telling them this in 2012 through 15, where I was looking into the future of what today is like. And I was saying to them, you're, you could get ahead of this because it's going to happen with or without you. Mm -hmm. And you could get ahead of it by being a call that founders of color and women make Mm -hmm. and LGBT founders make as opposed to something that's like untouchable and you have to know someone to know them. And that if they didn't want to do the, the footwork of that, which I could understand, they would have me as a scout. And I said all of that not knowing that in Silicon Valley there are scout programs. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I don't, they're pretty new, aren't they? No, they're, they've been around. Oh, really? It's what, Sam, what kick-started Sam Altman's career, Cali okay. uh, all these people. Okay. Um, but they were just very, like, low-key. Yeah. So did you become a scout? No. I created my own program was what I was saying. Like, I, I taught myself at home. I then... Went around to every investor I could find and said, let me, and I wasn't using the word scout, but I was saying that. Let me look for companies for you. Let me supply the deal flow. You have the money. You have a lot of it. And you're missing out on what could be interesting returns and discounted companies. So was that like a syndicate? Was it, did they, did you have LPs? Did you have people invest in your own fund? Yeah, so I set up a fund. Okay. I got a lawyer who was who would work with me before I, you know, raised. So that was really helpful. I have to give that credit. And then I set up a fund and I tried for like two years to get people to invest in it and nobody would. And then finally in the fall of 2015, I got my first investor who was a woman. Who is it? Susan Kimberlin. She was at Salesforce. Oh, cool. And then she introduced, so she made that, you know, that leap of faith as an angel investor into the fund. And then she introduced me to Jocelyn Goldfein, at, uh, uh, who's, who used to be a lead um, engineer at Facebook, now is a, a VC. Uh, she look her up, too, because she's writing checks that are significant, but they're uh, enterprise SaaS checks. But the, well, however many people that are listening... What should... does enterprise need, mean for the people who are listening? Um, it just means that you're selling um, to companies, like your company is selling to other companies, and you buy, and you, it wouldn't be like an individual buying it, and usually it's um, software, that, so software as a service is SaaS, mm-hmm. so you would sell, like you think about something like Salesforce or... Um, even Slack. Slack, yeah. Slack is, is that, even though it has a really great... Um, it feels like B2C in a yeah. way because it's it's so welcoming. They did a really good job of that. But yeah, they're your boss or your comp- you are deciding on these products for your company. Yeah. And she, so anyway, so they so she invested as well and then Lars Rasmussen invested um, with his uh, partner Elamita and Lars created Google Maps. And not then, bad. And then we just I just kept going. I just kept going. I kept getting no's. Still after that, I got no's. Then Stuart Butterfield, speaking of Slack, he got in touch with me on Twitter. Yeah. And he said, hey, I heard about you. Can I invest in your fund? And I'm like, well, let me check my calendar. How sir. long ago was that? That was uh, probably either December of 2015 or top of the year, 2016. We have so much more with Arlen coming up. But first, let's talk about ShipStation. And I, by ShipStation, I mean ShipStation. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> the ship to the station. So we use Ship Station for all of our shipping needs here at Girl Boss. We sell a little bit of merch here and there and ship all kinds of other things, gifts sometimes, books sometimes. Maggie, tell us how easy it is to use Ship Station. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's saved so much time on my part. Um, I log in, literally hit a button to update the store, um, get all of the requests or the orders, and then literally can print them right there and then uh, take them to UPS, FedEx, or USPS, and literally just drop them off with the prepaid labels all ready to go. Mm, bye. <laughs> so if you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, or over 75 other popular selling channels, you can integrate them with ShipStation to bring all of your orders into one simple interface. And it integrates with USPS, UPS, FedEx, and uh, everything you can imagine. And we have this great deal. Right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free. That is two months free. If you use our promo code GIRLBOSS, don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Girl Boss. That's S H I P S T A T I O N dot com. Enter Girl Boss. Ship Station. Make, Make ship, ship happen. happen. We're going to continue with Arlen in just a minute, but before we do, I also want to talk just a little bit about Quip. Quip. Mm. If you don't know what Quip is, it's a little toothbrush. <laughs> it's a little toothbrush that vibrates and cleans your teeth. It's an electric toothbrush, and it's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes and packs, and has just the right amount of vibrations to clean your teeth. And it has a built-in timer, so you don't brush your teeth for too long, mm -hmm. because, I don't know, who wants sore gums? And they deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule, so you can subscribe, and instead of forgetting and letting your electric toothbrush head get all gross, which I've done before, a new one will come every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide, so no matter where you're listening mm -hmm. to Girl Boss Radio, you can get your Quip electric toothbrush anywhere you want it. And plus, Quip is backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists, and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. It's on Oprah's O-List, was named one of Time's Best Inventions, and it's the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash girlboss right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash girlboss. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash girlboss. Though Arlen built Backstage Capital fairly quickly, the road to success had many painful twists and turns. Arlen was even homeless for a time and was building the company while she didn't even have a place to live. She revealed the hardest point in her journey to becoming a venture capitalist and how she got through it. And the hardest part was in 2015, well, 2014 too, where I just didn't have any place to live. And how was, did that happen? It's happened like half of my adult life. Just never... It's kind of complicated, but I just never had, like, a, I didn't start off on the right foot, I should say, as an adult, because I didn't have, like, my credit was messed up by a family member, and then uh, I never made, like, I made didn't make a ton of money ever, and I was also, like, it's, I mean, I worked since I was 15, so I have a strong work ethic, 
but it's hard for me to it's hard for me to work for other people. And so whereas in some cases that's looked at as like, oh, like, you know, and guys, that's like, yeah, he's he's a boss. He's he's doing his thing. And like for me, it was like, oh, you're disruptive and you're not you're you're asking too many questions and you're doing all that. And I felt really stifled by that. But I would do what I had to do because I watched I had a really great role model in my mom. I watched her work two job jobs, you know, like she worked at um, a telephone company for a couple of decades and nine to five and then she'd come home to us and then she'd make dinner and then she'd go to work at 7-Eleven overnight. Okay, so 2015 rolls around and you have been, it was like off to the races. So you've had these first few conversations. What's it like, you know, because I've experienced this, like your Rolodex, you know, it, once you have like a few great relationships and people who believe in you, it, it can exponentially grow pretty quickly when the right kind of people are vouching for you. How interesting is that to navigate? Like, and how much do you think those early relationships have done early being three years ago, but um, have done for you and backstage? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a, it's definitely a difference between nobody paying attention and someone giving you a chance, but it still was remarkably difficult even after those first few people were in because I was, I was going to, investors and saying hey you don't know me you don't know anyone who knows me I also have never done anything like this before and I'm also asking you to invest in companies that you think are a charity all in one conversation so I can understand how it was a little difficult for people but it did take a while to catch on like it wasn't until uh, I would say fall of 2016 where I had this big ink article come out that people started where people where people were coming to me rather than me going out and it never got easy but it's having the people no matter if they're connected or not or if they're famous or not like having people believe in me and make the phone call that needs to be made or um you know save me from something you know like there's a couple of times where I was at at an airport and I couldn't get the ticket and you know someone would swoop in and help those types of things uh, I'll never forget those things And then now it's about this year is crazy because this year is just where like it just cracked open. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like crazy. Like people that are I I, I wouldn't even imagine know my name are like reaching out. Hey, you want to get coffee? I'm like, I don't drink coffee, but sure. Once that becomes (laughs) normal and you, you know, it's like you should. I think you should tell me about this because you know this more than I I'm always flattered. I guess, mm-hmm. like, no matter how long it might be, have been happening that, mm-hmm. like, people who are really accomplished are giving me their time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm all, I'm only one dumb decision away from, like, nobody caring. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how I feel. But that's not really the case. Like, do you feel that you were able to kind of see who, like, your real supporters and friends are during the hard times? Yes. But I also don't think I'm skeptical enough, mm-hmm. even though I've been... You know, nobody, most people have, like, competing priorities. And so, so like, a television agent, yes, they have your best interests in Mm. mind. But they're doing way more business with a network, with Mm. any given network, than your show is probably going to have an impact on in their entire career. So there's loyalties Mm -hmm. that exist, that Mm -hmm. have existed for a long time before you even find someone who totally believes in what you're doing, Mm -hmm. where their loyalty may be to that larger thing. 
like an, an investor, it can be to their fund, you know, yeah. and for someone who's invested in a lot of companies, you can see like how much they care or are going to invest in what you're doing once the shit hits the fan. Mm. And if they stop showing up as much and, sh- you know, shift their focus to the new like hot item that they just invested in because they've like downgraded your investment mm-hmm. already and whatever yeah. it's called, yeah. marked it down, yeah. you know, yeah. so there's all these things happening under the hood that you don't really understand until they've kind of already happened. Mm -hmm. If you, uh, don't like really sniff out like where people's loyalties could lie, even if that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't really think, I don't think a lot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think I would be like a very skeptical, I'd be too skeptical. I wouldn't trust anybody. You kind of have to trust people. You have to try. I trust people until they give me a reason not to. Anyway, back to you. So tell me about the thesis of Backstage. What was it? What is it? You've raised this new fund. Mm. Um, how big is it? What What are you committed to supporting? Um, and how? what does that look like vis-a-vis the other kind of venture capital firms out there? Because mm-hmm. what you're doing, I mm-hmm. think, is pretty different. We're going to reach our 100 company invested in... Wow. A year and a half uh, ahead of schedule. So, 2015, I said when I was like homeless, I said I'm going to invest in 100 companies by 2020. We're going to invest in the 100th company this month. Wow. And so, that's in itself this milestone that we really are taking in and we're going to be, you know, talk about. And that's where we invested in women, people of color, and LGBT founders. At least one had to be a founder. And we sourced 3,000 to get to that number. So we were proving out that not only do, do they exist, which was a question that people were asking, do they exist? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, we could have just done one of those categories and found thousands, you know. Uh, but we, we, we also prove, we're also proving out that they can be viable, thriving companies. And so the next few years will be about show, showcasing that in our portfolio. With the $36 million fund, what I was seeing after seeing so many companies and, and, and 40 or so percent of those companies being led by black women, seeing that it, the needle wasn't being moved fast enough. Like, we're getting... The crumbs. We're getting the scraps. rates of, I mean, 3% of venture capital goes to women. And what's mm-hmm. the statistic it's for like black women? It's like 0.2 is the last I heard. 0.2. 0.2 for black women. Uh-huh. And then like the the um, average round, if a black woman can raise at all the outside of like her bank account or, you know, whatever, it's 36,000 is the average. Like, just like I got 25k or I got 50k venture capital. Uh huh. Like invest 36,000. Like, <laughs> well, there's there's smaller. I mean, and so it's <laughs> there are. But. I mean, it's like a lot of accelerators. It's a lot of, and then the average for a white male, if they raise, not every white male raises. Like that's silly to think, but like if not. they do, 1.3 million is their average, in that same type of round. So, this woman who is like, just just getting by by like walking out of her house and not and hopefully she's not getting harassed in some way or another for being a woman for being black for being a black woman so there's 36,000 you have a 36 million dollar fund mm-hmm. is that the is that a nice that's like a nice way to round mm-hmm. up part of it was in the math of what we want to do which is invest in 15 to 20 companies and have half of the fund be follow-on one million at a time If you have an incredible idea for a startup and are wondering how you could ever get the chance to pitch it, 
We've got you covered. I asked Arlen how our listeners who are people of color, women, and or in the LGBTQ community can get in touch to pitch their ideas to Backstage Capital. So we have an open application process, which a lot of funds do not have at this stage. You can go to backstagecapital.com slash apply, and you'll see our deal flow team there, which is a group of people on our team who looks at every single application. And then they bring me their favorites at this point, because the first 80 or so investments I did alone, uh, they look at them, and we all get together and, and chat about the companies. We also have two big announcements coming up. That are, and one of them is on par with the announcement that we made on the $36 million fund. So look out for that in June. So we had Emily Chang on the podcast mm-hmm. uh, who wrote Brotopia yes. about the bro club, bro culture of Silicon Valley. What have you seen? Like what kind of behaviors have you seen? From bros? From bros. And then, you know, having conversation with, I mean, because you have conversation with, with guys and, about certain things and they're either like, these are like glaze over and they're like, yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Or they like get it. Yeah. I think it's kind of something I've never really talked about is this nuance of me being gay because I have sometimes I have conversations like with guy investors or even fun, um, like founders. And they think that because I'm gay, they can talk to me like a bro mm-hmm. and they can say stuff about women that I would be OK with. And that's happened before. Like what? Oh, just like commenting on looks and commenting on different things, and I'm just or like, ladies, you know what I mean? Like they're all be like they're, they're all, all little, you know mm. this thing. And I'm like, yeah, give me some of that. Yeah, yeah her appearance. Yeah. yeah, no, and I just I find I think it's so like, you know, in the moment I usually pause and think about in my mind have this quick image of me in a video game destroying them, like mm-hmm. you know, Wreck it some Ralph. sort of safe yeah way to to get rid of them in my head but i just found it a, it's it's incredible that mm-hmm. that that happens i've definitely for for friends of mine i've seen them either be misogynistic or be sexist in the way that they're thinking about what a woman's role would be what do you say in those circumstances oh i cuss them out yeah yeah i'm pretty open about that like i don't like i also like um find myself in a lot of absurd situations and th- th- that's when I really thrive. Yeah, me so, too. <laughs> yeah, so when that happens, I'm just like, I just call out what the moment is. Yeah. And it usually takes people by surprise. <laughs> On the last podcast that I heard from Girl Boss, I was talking about like being authentic and being true to yourself. That's where this comes to play. So, no, I don't think it's a good idea to just pop off on everybody who looks at you the wrong way every second because you're going to be doing that for a long time because it <laughs> happens all the time. But I do think that it is important and imperative to stick up for yourself mm-hmm. and to know your value, know your worth, to know what your your standards are and your boundaries because no, no check is worth it. It's just not. And you you know this from, from firsthand that even with the money, it's sometimes not worth it. Mm-hmm. I would say go into meetings as you know with co-founders like, that's probably the best way you can do it. Go in with mm-hmm. co-founders. Buddy go system. In, yeah, go in with like, you know, because these guys aren't just sitting there just being predators. Like, you know, it's it's a few bad apples that make a lot of people look bad. And then there's a lot of guys who are just ignorant and say the wrong thing and awkward. And they they come across the wrong way. And, and I understand that. I try not to I try not to attack someone right out the gate. I try to, like, the, the older I get, the more I try to really try to understand where someone is coming from and what their perspective may be. Mm-hmm. Because 
I know I make mistakes all the time and I make like social mistakes a lot. And, and, you know, if you're a guy, I try to put myself in the, in the mind of a guy, in the mind of a white man. A lot of times when they're saying, when they're stumbling on their words, when it comes to race, do I attack them or do I like just gently tell them, Hey, that's probably insensitive. And some people might take that the wrong way. And see how they react to that and if they react to that in a way that's like oh you're you just taught me something I didn't understand before Mm -hmm. then that's way cooler than like you know getting into a fight because you think you know what they're thinking sometimes they're just assholes Mm -hmm. like they just are and why would you want them on your why would you want them invested in your company for 10 years anyway anyone in particular we should be aware of that's an asshole well people that I guess have been outed already Okay. I, I mean, I, I still see people sort of hanging out yeah, online with these people. Like, if, if you read about them being accused and also admitting to sexual harassment, I understand, like, people getting second chances. How about imagining that this probably was their fourth or fifth chance? Yeah. And also give them a few years to kind of come back from it. Don't go hanging with them. Yeah, totally. Early. But, no, I mean, there's, 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 I have a list. I'm much like Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory Amazing. in many ways. Uh, but I have a list and, you know, I tell well, our founders what my opinion is. And yeah. Is there you can ask I'm, Arlen in person. Yeah. After um, she invests. Just make sure you fist bump instead of shake my hand and then you can ask me anything. You, you don't know. do handshakes? Nope. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. I remember when I did the Girl Boss Summit and I, I met you for the first time and I fist bumped you and then I, and you were like already thrown off by that. And then I said, oh, I'm talking in a few minutes. I better figure out what I'm going to say. And I saw this look on your face that was like, oh shit, she really doesn't know what she's going to say out there. I've made a terrible decision in, in bringing her on. What? <laughs> you think I said that? No, I, no, I saw that in your, it wasn't bad. It was, mo- it was most like, cause I was being silly. Cause I'm kind of like. No, that's energy. you projecting. Am I? It just looked like you were like. That was me not you knowing what know? the fuck I was going to say. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And it, it was wrapped bad. up in their own world. It was just like you're like. I oh, don't you care. Don't yeah. <laughs> I was probably thinking about myself. You were probably. <laughs> like, I don't. Did I meet you at that Yeah. Thing? No, no, no. Yeah. I remember. That was a great event. By Why the way. no handshakes? Because I see. I spend a lot of time in airports. And I spend a lot of time watching people in general. And I know what they do with their hands. You're disgusting if you're listening. Everybody is. Humans are. Before she left, I asked Arlen to share her most recent girl boss moment. All of my shoes are purple. I didn't have any money, so like I wore the same shoes for seven years in a row until they would have holes at, from Payless, and then I would get another pair of Payless shoes and do that for another seven years since I was a child. And so when I, you know, 2015, when I started making a salary, I got me some some purple shoes and I can't stop so I don't have a t- like Lena Waithe has like a hundred pair of shoes or something like that and I know Tristan Walker has a ton of shoes I have like maybe 12 pair but they're all purple that's good and well purple's the color of backstage so yeah it, it works well yeah, with your all of it all of it your logo and so I do things like, like when I celebrate I do things like uh uh get the purple shoe collection or I will um I do a lot of stuff where I do these kind of bigger things and I don't I don't even take it in. Yeah. So I try to have moments where I just like celebrate for yeah, a day. Yeah, we all process it differently. Like some people think some people think buying shoes could be like materialistic mm-hmm. and I'm the same way. I'm like I earn this. This is a symbol of my work that I get to look at. Yeah. Exactly. And not everybody quite understands that. Yeah, cuz you're you're when you're running things, there's so much to think about. There's so much of yourself that you give away and that um, 
and hopefully you know I'm I think I'm pretty good at knowing what to give away and what not to but even if you do a good job of it you are giving a lot of yourself away you're doing mm-hmm. making sacrifices that people never see mm-hmm. they just sort of see the end result of it yeah and yeah I stopped apologizing for taking care of myself a while ago that sounds like a lifelong girl boss moment. So the thing that we're here to kind of crack, and there is no answer, and I don't think we're ever going to crack it because it's constantly changing, and it's individual to everybody, but this concept of success, and girl boss is really trying to have a conversation about reframing that or giving women the tools they need to make decide for themselves what, what success really means, and it might be different tomorrow than it is today, you know, in a world where the view of success is make a bunch of money, have a big fancy career, like have a wife and, you know, whatever, three cars, China debt. I don't even know what it what it is that this, the men who created this world told us it was. Mm-hmm. But what does success mean for you? For the company, it is where we have done a really good job for our investors and that I, in a few years, am seeing founder after founder after founder who is a person of color who is a woman who is LGBT just killing it and like putting their money into other companies and that you know you see the interviews have their face on it and the covers have their face on it rather than um love love Twitter but I I can't see another Jack Dorsey cover you know like Mm -hmm. it's just over and over and over again and I'm sure he would agree like it's like it's time for more. So the success would be that we had something a little bit to do with that, even if it was just our place to do with the obnoxious and uh, audacious success of these founders. Mm-hmm. And then that they would have set an example for others and that, that that's for years and years that legacy is just feeding on itself. That's how it works. For personal, you'll be able to physically know when I've when I consider myself having made it because I will be wearing a purple tracksuit of the Velour persuasion and I will Made by who? Custom? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, oh, to- definitely custom. Yes, so holler at me. <laughs> I'll probably just do that when I like make make a million dollars in one year. Like that'll be like the first thing or maybe if we have this crazy exit or something. But I think the million dollars in one year will happen pretty damn soon. Well, look out for Arlen in the purple velour tracksuit. Yeah. Way sooner than a year from now. I just want to be I just want to be okay. I just want to be okay and be able to travel when I want to give my friends and family what I want to give them and uh, give away a ton of money. Yeah. That is my personal money. Sounds fun. Arlen, thank you so much for joining me on Girl Boss Radio. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on Girl Boss Radio today. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends about this show, and be sure to check out our newest podcast, Jen Gotch is Okay Sometimes, with our buddy at Jen Gotch. It's live on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts now, and it is a hoot. You can also listen to Self Service with Jericho Mandibur, our amazing self care podcast, and don't forget about hashtag lip stories in partnership with Sephora Collection. Thanks, you guys. I'll see you next week. <laughs>